Amen. Well, um, Seth asked you if you're a great congregation. That's kind of a loaded question, which you... But I'm going to tell you, uh, this is a great congregation. Um, and uh, the reason why is, uh, there's a lot of reasons why, but one of the reasons why is that uh, there is so much authenticity um, in, in the folks of this church that um, we have a great group of folks that they don't just say they believe, they live it out. Amen? I. I I see that. I believe it. I uh, am blessed by that. Um, so anyway, um, just you know, reach around, pat yourself on the back a little bit there. For I can't really do that too well. But um, we're going to talk about King David. We're going to finish up um, the story of his life. And so today, we're going to deal with David on his deathbed. Okay, the uh, last moments, the last will and wishes of David. And as we do that, um, it's interesting. David had the opportunity to know that he was dying. Um, and, and in some ways, that's a great blessing to, to know that you can get your house in order, you can declare your wishes, you can uh, prepare the people that are, are coming along behind you uh, for the days to come. And uh, I appreciate that um, more so now, I think, than I used to. Um, you know, I always used to have this question in my mind, and I don't know if you have this question. Would it be better to, to know and to be able to prepare or to just die suddenly? Like, which one would, would be more preferable? Um, in some ways, I mean, you might think just dying suddenly would be kind of nice, just kind of just... All of a sudden, surprise! <laughs> You're in heaven. That'd be, you got to be ready, okay? Always ready. But um, a few weeks ago, I had the uh, experience of, of at least beginning to understand that idea that uh, my life is mortal, right? Now, okay, we all know that intellectually. Everybody has this. Um, inherent knowledge and understanding that, that we're mortal, that I will die someday, but we also have the inherent ability to deceive ourselves. You know that? Like we just, no matter what's going on, we, we can trick our minds to kind of forget that that really is going to happen. Well, a few weeks ago, um, I started to have this, this intense pain um, on my, my right side, my, my chest, my, my, under my rib, my back. And um, it was Saturday night. I went to bed that night, and I started to have this pain, and I woke me up where um, I, it was really excruciating. So I would lay on my left side and just not, and try not to move. Anybody ever been in pain? Like, you, if you move, your body is going to be screaming. And, like, if I just turned a little bit, I, I mean, it was just excruciating pain like I've never felt before. Um, so being a, a man, I tried to ignore it, and uh, I got through the night, mostly through the night. I, I got to about 3 a.m., and I'm just like, okay, I need to get up. It was the closest I've ever come to uh, going to the emergency room. 
And I probably should have, hindsight being 2020, I probably should have. But I didn't want to throw Seth under the bus and like, okay, I'm not preaching tomorrow, you just do it. I got up, I started kind of walking around a little bit, I felt a little bit better, and, um, you know, took a shower and came to church a little earlier than normal and felt okay, and I got through the morning, and I'm like, okay, maybe this is not such a, you know, bad thing, maybe I'll be okay, right? I um, talked to Molly about it, and uh, we, we, uh, we Googled it, <laughs> that's always a good idea, and, um, you know, obviously, I'm you know, all the stuff that Google's going to tell you, all the cancer and all this other stuff. But I'm an optimist, okay? And I, I really thought, whatever it is, probably no big deal. So um, there was one, one you know, uh, what, symptom, or it, it kind of came up with one uh, possible uh, issue that it might be, which was pleurisy. Anybody ever heard of pleurisy? like an inflammation of the lining around your lung. I'm like, ah, that's probably what it is. So um, it's not too bad. I'll take some ibuprofen and I'll be fine. And I went to bed that night and I felt okay. That night I actually got decent sleep and thought, all right, whatever that was, no big deal. So the next day I I kind of half determined I was going to call my doctor and set up an appointment and just go ahead and see what he might tell me. When I um, happened to and I don't want to gross you out, but I coughed up some blood. And it was like totally blood. Like it was, okay. I'm like, well, that's not so good. <laughs> so <laughs> I, uh, but, uh, you know, I was just like, and it's so weird. I can't really explain this. Um, unless you've been there yourself, you probably can't really understand this in your mind. I was completely at peace with whatever. But I, I I'll tell you this. I really did have the thought that I might be dying. I mean, I really did think, this could be it. I mean, I could, I could have something that is terminal. Um, and, and I was at a point where I said, okay, God, if that's the case, how, how do I feel about that? And, and the question kind of came back to this answer, which was, do you believe in what you've been preaching for the last 20 years? Do you believe it for yourself? And I said, yeah, I really do. And I mean, I'm telling you, I had no fear, no anxiety, no stress. It was just like, if that's the case, if I'm, you know, if I'm not long for this world, I'm okay. I'm okay with where I'm going and what's going to happen. In fact, I, I mean, it, I don't know if this is weird or not, maybe not, but I was kind of almost looking forward to it. <laughs> I mean, heaven is going to be awesome, and I'm, I'm looking forward to uh, all the, the wonder and the joy of that. But there were two things that I did that did concern me. Well, one thing concerned me, and one thing was just kind of I don't know, more confirmation, I guess. But one thing that you cannot not think about is your family. I mean, I just thought, okay, are they ready for this? Probably not, okay? They're just, they're not going to be ready. I mean, I am pretty fantastic, so (laughs) it's going to be hard. No, I didn't think that. 
I thought, do I have enough life insurance so Molly doesn't have to struggle financially? And, I'm, and I started looking at, I'm like, oh, she'll be okay. So anyway, just in case anything happens to me, that's kind of a joke. All right. Um, but uh, the other thing was, you know, um, my life. Like, okay, this, if this is it, you ever think about this? If this is it, have I done what I need to do? Have I, have, what, what, what am I leaving behind? I think that's what David is, is dealing with when we talk about his deathbed um, directions to Solomon. He's looking back and saying, have I done everything I need to do? Have I been faithful? And I'm going to tell you that when David asks that question of himself, I think he comes with, up with the answer of no. There are some things that I need to take care of. Um, I asked myself the question, and I'm not saying that I've done everything perfectly, but I asked myself the question, have I been faithful to the calling that God has put on my life? And for the most part, not that I've been perfect by any means, but I believe and I felt a peace about it that I've, I've tried to be faithful to my calling. And listen, before we even get into what's going on here, um, if I can give you at least something to think about, we are all going to end up in the grave. Every one of us, sooner or later. The only thing that matters is that question of, have I given my life to Christ? Have I given my life to Christ every day? Have I lived for him? Not perfectly, okay? Not, not uh, maybe to the extent that we all would hope, but have I done what I can do to lay my life before him to let him use it how he wants? And when you can answer that question positively, I'm telling you, there's no fear about where you're going. He paid the price. He gave me this life for however long I have it on this earth. And if I can give that back to him and let him use it, it's all good. Amen? So let's pick up with David um, in his final directions to Solomon. 1 Kings chapter 2. And uh, let's stand as we read God's word this morning. 1 Kings chapter 2. says, when David's time to die drew near, he commanded Solomon, his son, saying, I'm about to go the way of all the earth. Be strong. Show yourself a man. Keep the charge of the Lord your God, walking in his ways and keeping his statutes, his commandments, his rules and his testimonies, as it is written in the law of Moses, that you may prosper in all that you do and wherever you turn, that the Lord may establish his word that he spoke concerning me, saying, If your sons pay close attention to their way, to walk before me in faithfulness with all their heart and with all their soul, you shall not lack a man on the throne of Israel. Moreover, you also know what Joab, the son of Zariah, did to me, how he dealt with the two commanders of the armies of Israel, Abner, son of Ner, and Amasa, the son of Jether, whom he killed, avenging in a time of peace for blood that had been shed in war and putting the blood of war on the belt around his waist and on the sandals of his feet. Act, therefore, according to your wisdom, 
But do not let his gray head go down to Sheol in peace. But deal, with, deal loyally with the sons of Barzillai, the Gileadite, and let them be among those who eat at your table, for with such loyalty they met me when I fled from Absalom, your brother. And there is also with you Shimei, the son of Gera, the Benjamite, from Baharim, who cursed me with grievous curse on the day when I went to Mahanaim. But when he came down to meet me at the Jordan, I swore to him by the Lord, saying, I will not put you to death by the sword. Now, therefore, do not hold him guiltless, for you are a wise man. You will know what you ought to do to him, and you shall bring his gray head down with blood to Sheol. Then David slept with his fathers and was buried in the city of David. And the time that David reigned over Israel was 40 years. He reigned seven years in Hebron, 33 in Jerusalem. So Solomon sat on the throne of David, his father, and his kingdom was firmly established. And Father, we thank you for your word today. God, as we approach uh, the truth of your word, we uh, are asking, Lord, and pleading with you, God, give us uh, right understanding. Give us the interpretation, the understanding, the knowledge, the wisdom, uh, God, to apply it faithfully to our lives, God, that we might be faithful that we might be witnesses, that we might be uh, purposeful, Lord, in our lives, Lord, towards you, in our generation, God. We have uh, such little time on this earth. We, we pray that however much time it is, that we would use it to the fullness of your will and your glory, God, and that we would give you all praise for every day, Lord, making the most of each and every moment. Whatever time we have, God, we commit it and consecrate it to you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So, what is going on here? You, you, you ask yourself that question. Anybody read this and think, David seems to be a little bit angry. Um, okay, I'm going to tell you something. It's hard some passages in the Bible are harder to interpret than others. I believe what has happened in David's life is this. With his sin with Bathsheba, in that moral failure, he lost moral courage for quite a significant time in his life. He was passive. He did not address sin issues the way that he should have. He let things slide that he should never have let slide. And he just kind of went through years, maybe even a decade or more in his life, just kind of letting things go. Things that God had commanded him as uh, the, the king of Israel and, the, and one of the, the primary judges of his people to deal with, and he just didn't deal with them. He seems to have taken a step back in his life and just let things happen as they will. So Solomon is the... Um, rightful heir to the throne. Now, why is that? Okay, it's not because he's the, the firstborn or the oldest. In fact, um, you would think that the, the throne should legitimately go to whoever is the, the oldest son, the oldest living son. Well, that doesn't seem to happen. In fact, if you go to First Chronicles chapter 3, you get a list of David's 19 sons. Where do you think Solomon appears in that list? going once? No. Tricked you. He is number 10 out of 19. 
middle child. What, he has no reason to believe. Any, many middle children here? Aren't they the forgotten kids? I mean, I'm kind of a middle child. My little brother was so spoiled. And my oldest siblings, they're just so... No, they actually, they got most of the punishment. So it's not so bad being the middle child. But what happens here with Solomon is that he is not legitimately the heir to the throne. Here's what you have in the lineup. Firstborn is Amnon. Anybody remember Amnon from last week? Now, Amnon um, did a terrible thing, and he defiled his sister, and so Amnon is dead. Then there's um, Daniel, and Daniel's name just appears here and nowhere else, okay? So you never hear anything about Daniel. What happened to Daniel? We don't know. We, we assume Daniel died at a young age, okay? Whether he was a child or what, we don't know, but he just is gone. And then you have Absalom, and uh, Absalom, as you may remember, was the one who t- took part in the insurrection, and he died. And then next, after Absalom is Adonijah. And Adonijah is probably the legitimate, according to birthright, heir to the throne. Solomon comes much later. So here's what happens. Um, Solomon inherits the throne not by birthright, but by a divine word from the Lord. And this is what it says in 1 Chronicles chapter 22. Verse 7 says, David said to Solomon, My son, I had it in my heart to build a house to the name of the Lord my God. But the word of the Lord came to me, saying, You have shed much blood and have waged great wars. You shall not build a house to my name, because you have shed so much blood before me on the earth. Behold, a son shall be born to you who shall be a man of rest. I will give him rest from all his surrounding enemies, for his name shall be Solomon. And I will give peace and quiet to Israel in his days. He shall build a house for my name. He shall be my son, and I will be his father, and I will establish his royal throne in Israel forever. So God told David clearly that Solomon was going to be the heir to the throne. And now what's going to happen, okay, in David's life is that even though he's heard the word from the Lord, and I think that everybody around him, knew that. I'm sure he had told people and word has gotten out. Solomon's going to be the heir to the throne. David now is on his deathbed. In fact, he's so weak and um, sickly. Okay, he's only 68 years old at this time, so it's not like he's like a super old guy. Anybody here 68 or older? Okay. Um, you feel like you're super old? No, not at all. You're like a spring chicken. So, David, though, has some kind of blood disorder or disease or something. He can't stay warm. And so what happens is as he is kind of curled up in his bed and they're throwing all kinds of blankets on him, he can't stay warm. And they come up with this great idea. It's the heated blanket. Well, they don't have what you call electricity back then, but they do have something called uh, young women. They say, let's grab one of these beautiful young women and we'll make her concubine to David and she will slide in there next to David and she'll work as a human heated blanket. Sound like a good idea? Okay, well, that's what they do. 
Her name is Abishag. They go out and they find her, and they never have marital relations, okay? But she slides in there next to David, and she cuddles up with him, and she tries to warm him up, and um, that's the heated blanket 3,000 years ago. Here's what happens. While David is cuddling up with Abishag, Adonijah decides that this is his opportunity to become king while David is sick and dying and things are kind of, people are distracted. So he gets all his crew together, everybody who believes that he should be king, because people are in disagreement about Solomon. Solomon's probably like 20 years old at this point. Adonijah is older. He's one of the oldest sons left. Um, and so they think, well, he's the oldest. He should be king. Uh, we don't know about this Solomon guy, and he's pretty young and untested. So he gra- gathers his group and his declared king. Bathsheba and Nathan hear about this, and they go to David and say, David, did you realize that Adonijah is becoming king? Did you want this to happen? And David is like, no, I thought Solomon was going to be king. So he does what Saul should have done many years before. When Saul knew that he was no longer able to be king, he should have made David king. He should have transferred the kingdom to him peacefully. Instead, he tried to hold on to it. David, in this moment, okay, this is why I think Adonijah thinks he can get away with this, because David has been so passive with all of his family and all the dealings that have happened. Do you remember from from Amnon to uh, Absalom, and now to Adonijah, it's kind of like David seems like, well, it'll be what it'll be, I guess. You know, let God deal with it. At this moment, finally, David gets his moral courage back, and he says, no, Solomon is to be king, and he makes him king, and he transfers the kingdom peacefully over to Solomon, and now Solomon is going to reign in Israel. Because why? It is God's plan and God's word. David is finally, even, even though it's his last moments on earth, okay, his last days on earth, he's finally doing what he knew he should have done before. Here's the deal, okay, and, and I only have one point this week, so I'm just going to make this one point over and over. Faith is active. It's not passive, okay, David finally gets it, that he is responsible for declaring the things that God has shown him and told him. Do you see the, the obvious um, issue that we need to deal with? You and I are responsible for the things that God has shown us and done in our lives. It's easy to be passive. When the world is disagreeing with the word of God and the world is disagreeing constantly, um, aggressively with the truth of, of God's will and his standard for the church to sit back and say, well, I don't want to upset anybody. We'll just kind of agree to believe in God's words quietly and privately to ourselves but we don't want to rock the boat. We're doing a disservice not only to the world, but to the God who told us what his standard is. Amen? We, we have to be active. Now, that doesn't mean that we are, are, 
aggressive or we're judging. It just means that we speak the truth in love and we're not going to be um, shy about declaring the things that God has declared to us. David finally gets that. So he begins with uh, Adonijah and Solomon. He says, no, Solomon's king. And even though Adonijah should have you know, gotten the, the throne because of his birthright, God has declared that Solomon is king. Uh, he has to actively do that. Second thing is that he begins to tell Solomon um, what he needs to do to secure his kingdom. Now, um, this is interesting because this is where it seems like David is just kind of um, vindictive a little bit. And, and I know, I mean, I read it over and over and it just sounds that way, but the reality is this, that Joab um, has been a real dirtbag. <laughs> I mean, I don't know what else to say. He's a dirtbag. He does some really underhanded things. David just lets it slide over and over and over again. And so what he does, um, first of all, this is one of the things that David says. He's killed two commanders of the army. Uh, one was uh, Abner. Abner was Saul's commander of Saul's army. Okay, Saul was the previous king. Abner was his general. And what happens is that when Saul died, uh, Abner had begun to oppose David in his kingdom. Okay, and he, he raised up one of Saul's sons to be king, and he's supporting him, and he's fighting his battles, and there's conflict for a couple of years. Um, but at some point, Abner says, David really is the legitimate king, and he begins to turn his allegiance over to David. And he goes to David, and he says, uh, you're the king. I'm going to give you my allegiance, and I'm going to support you. And David is thrilled. Can you imagine? He's just like, here's the, the number one opponent to my kingship, and he's coming and saying he's going to support me as king. And he can actually rally Saul's uh, troops and, and all the people that were supportive of Saul. He's going to actually bring them over into uh, my kingdom. And so David is thrilled, but Joab is mad at Abner because in a previous battle, what had happened was, and you can go through and read this for yourself, um, this is in Second uh, Samuel chapter 2, um, but Joab has a brother who was chasing Abner in a battle. Okay, So Abner's trying to get away, and this brother is chasing Abner, and Abner just keeps calling back like, go away, leave me alone, like, I'm going to kill you if you don't stop, and he's like, I mean, this other guy is really a runner, and so he's just chasing, 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 and finally, Abner, um, because he's a, he's a stout, like, warrior, like, he's not a joke, he plants, I don't know how he does it, but he plants his spear in the ground, basically, the other guy runs into it, and runs himself through his spear, okay, and this is Joab's brother. This is a time of war. This is a battle. This is not just, you know, for, for fun, okay? He dies. Joab does not forgive Abner, and so here's what he does. In Second uh, Samuel chapter 3, it says, uh, when Abner returned to Hebron, so Abner had just been talking to David. He leaves David, and then Joab, uh, he hears about this. Oh, Abner's going to join the army? He's turning allegiance over to David. He goes and he finds Abner. And, he, he re, and so it says this, Joab took him aside into the midst of the gate to speak with him privately. Hey, buddy, let's talk about 
the army and David and what we're going to do here. And then he struck him in the stomach so that he died for the blood of Azahel, his brother. So in a time of peace, he kills, he murders this other guy, Abner. Um, so that's the first thing that he does. Second thing that he does, I mean, there's a lot of stuff that's kind of shady, but these are the main ones. Um, what happens is David gets tired of Joab, okay? He, he knows that Joab's a problem, but instead of confronting it head on, he actually just is going, it's kind of like, you ever had a job where they just um, uh, stopped giving you hours? I've never had a job like that, but, but sometimes you, you, people will have a job. I did get fired one time, but um, where they just kind of decrease your hours and decrease your hours. Now you're only working a couple days a week, or now you're only working a, like one day a week, and, and uh, you kind of are like, well, I've got to find a new job. Well, anyway, David kind of does that with Joab. He, um, he goes to uh, his cousin, Amasa, and he says, Are you not my bone and my flesh? God do so to me and more also, so he's making an oath, uh, if you are not commander of my army from now on in place of Joab. So he doesn't fire Joab. He just makes somebody else the captain of his, his army. Like he just says, here, you're promoted. And we'll just hope that Joab gets the picture, right? What do you think Joab's going to do? He kills him. Now, <laughs> this is what happens. Um, there's a battle. There's an issue. This guy, Amasa, it's kind of questionable whether he's maybe a little in, in, inadequate. Maybe he's not quite capable, and he doesn't show up to the right place when he's supposed to show up. Anyway, Joab takes advantage of this. And in, in chapter 20, 2 Samuel 20, verse 8, when they were at the great stone that is in Gibeon, Amasa came to meet them, Joab and his troops. Now Joab was wearing a soldier's garment, and over it was a belt with a sword and a sheath fastened on his thigh. And as he went forward, it fell out. So he's got a trick, I don't know, sword, something, this holder, kind of like a switchblade. Here's what it says. He went forward, it fell out. Joab said to Amasa, Is it well with you, my brother? How you doing? Joab took Amasa by the beard with his right hand to kiss him. But Amasa, no, that's not, okay, that's just normal ancient greeting, okay. Amasa did not observe the sword that was in Joab's hand. So Joab struck him with it in the stomach and spilled his entrails to the ground without striking a second blow, and he died. So he, in a very sneaky way, he gutted the guy. Okay. So apparently Joab's not ready to retire. <laughs> but here's the weird thing, okay? David doesn't deal with it. He just lets it go. He just lets Joab continue to be the commander of his army, and on they go. Finally, okay, what happens on his deathbed is David's like, that was wrong of me not to deal with that. Joab is, is a problem. He has shed blood. He has shed, shed innocent blood, and he needs to be dealt with. And David is finally, 
doing what he should have done all along. He is finding the moral courage to actually address an injustice. Okay? He commands Solomon to deal with it. He is, at this point, no longer able to deal with it, but he makes sure that it is dealt with. Um, that's the first thing. The second thing that he does is he talks about... Um, uh, and so what happens with Abner is that uh, Solomon has him put to death. Um, in, the, in, that, in the same chapter, you see this all unfolding. Um, Abner, or not Abner, Joab. I always get, whenever I start talking about those two, I get their names mixed up. Okay, just so you know. Joab is put to death in that same chapter. Um, but then he says uh, to uh, Solomon about Barzillai the Gileadite. And here's the, this is a positive thing. Barzillai supported David when David was fleeing from Absalom. And for whatever reason, okay, I don't know exactly what was going through David's mind or what, but he felt guilty that he had not appropriately uh, honored or thanked or appreciated what Barzillai had done for him. And that was also an injustice. He, so he's not just passive about the wrong things done. He was also a little bit passive about the support that he had gotten by the people that, that were loyal to him when he was fleeing. And, and here's all I want to say is that, like I said, faith is active, and not only do we need to deal with sin and injustice, but we also need to, to deal with uh, the people in our life that are faithful, that are encouraging, that are helping, that are coming around us and, and, and enabling us to, to follow the Lord or to get through a tough time or to deal with the uh, difficult situation, whatever the case may be. And uh, I am very guilty of this, okay? This is one of my problems. I don't show the appreciation that I ought to. It's one of the, the main areas of guilt that I, I do struggle with, is that there are people that, I mean, I'll just think about our church body as a whole, okay? There are people serving faithfully, constantly, consistently, um, sacrificially, I mean, they're giving their time and they're, they're doing all kinds of stuff and they make this whole church run just smoothly and well and they make us look good. Would you agree? There's so much happening. I mean, you just, I mean, you go through the announcements and it's like all these things that are happening and it's just like one thing after the next. And we don't talk about all the stuff we're doing. I know that surprises you. Like... That's not everything that's happening. That's like the highlights. In fact, um, sometimes we're, you go through the bulletin, you're like, wow, the, all this stuff is going on. How do you think that happens? It's not me. I'll tell you that much. It is all these people who are doing all these things all the time. And um, so much of, of the strength in all of our lives, okay, is the support that we have from the people that are investing in us. Would you agree? And how often do we tell people, like, what you said, what you did, how you helped me, how you supported me, I mean, that really meant a lot to me. I mean, we don't do that. It's kind of, and one of the reasons why is probably because people, a lot of people are like me, um, where I get a little bit embarrassed when people compliment me. You, anybody feel like that? You start hearing somebody say, you know, you did a good job at something, I'm, I'm almost like, I want to turn the subject away and talk about something else. Like, it's, I don't want to hear that, but I do want to hear it. You know, I need to hear it, but it's just one of those things where 
We don't want to, we don't want to act like we're um, flattering people. It's, it needs to be sincere. So you may need to write a letter, make a phone call, um, stop somebody in the hall or something, but just say, you know, that thing that you did, it re I really did appreciate it, and, and it was helpful to me. Um, that's part of expressing um, your faith in what God's doing in your life. And then the last thing is, is he deals with Shimi. Shimi um, was the guy who um, cursed David when he was fleeing from Absalom. And David, remember, I, I said this last week, but um, David made a mistake. He had declared that what Shimi was doing was from God. I believe David recognized later in his life that that was wrong, that Shimi did not have the right to curse God's leader, that God's anointed, and that he needed to be dealt with. And so what happens with Shimi is that uh, Solomon gives him a chance uh, to, to survive. He says, okay, here's how it's going to work. Jerusalem, the city of Jerusalem, is prison to you, okay? It's a pretty big prison. Would you agree? Okay? All you, all you have to do, don't leave the city. As soon as you leave the city, you're dead. I mean, and Shimi, he's like, okay, that's fair. I mean, Shimi should have been executed on the spot years ago. Um, he says, all right, I'll do that. And so now Shimi, and you can kind of work out what's going to happen here. He has a servant. He has a slave. Now, if I am Shimi's slave, and I know that Shimi cannot leave Jerusalem or else he's going to die, then what am I going to do? Anybody? All I have to do is leave Jerusalem. And I could do anything, right? Come and get me. Doesn't and Shimi, out of pride, I guess, says, well, you're not going to do that to me. And he goes and he runs after his servant to go get him and bring him back. And Solomon, obviously, he's like, uh, Shimi, duh, what are you doing? Like, you're, you just killed yourself here going after this servant. And so Shimi dies. That's the end of all of these things. And here's what it ultimately is. David understood at the very end that he had to be active in doing what God had called him to do. Even though it meant transferring some of that responsibility over to his son Solomon, he had to be active in that. That what is God's plan and God's will is an active faith. Now, I'm going to take a leap in... Um, interpretation here, okay? And I know this is a big leap, but here's the issue. Jesus is going to be 100% actively faithful, okay, on your behalf. And what this is, is God is not willing to passively let people die, to be lost, to be sent to hell. He's not... He's not going to passively let you just ruin your life. He's going to actively um, work on your behalf. Would you agree? He's, he's always active in his concern for you. And the most clear um, occasion when God was most actively concerned for your welfare was when he sent his own son to die on the cross for you, to live a perfect life, to never 
make one mistake. In fact, he always did exactly what he heard and saw his father doing. And then to actively give that life as a sacrifice on the cross. And from that point forward, here's what happens is that we trust in what Jesus did. I, I'm not um, confident in my ability to, to be perfect or even to be good, okay? But I am completely confident in God's ability to pay the price for me. I'm, I'm 100% confirmed that if God is willing to do that and he calls me to simply receive that by faith, then, then I don't have any doubt of, of where I'm going. Jesus is going to be actively concerned. And then, as that happens in your life and you kind of get the picture, okay, God's willing to do this for me. It, has he changed? Is he still willing to pursue you today as much as he was willing 2,000 years ago to sacrifice his son for you? Does he still care about your, your day-to-day life and what you're going through and the concern that you have and the worries that you're dealing with and the family issues that you're struggling with and all the stuff of life that overwhelms us from day to day, does he still care about that stuff? Is he passively just kind of like, well, deal with it? He's active in his concern for you even today. Now, here's what we have to understand. David had to come to a point where he was willing to apply himself in response to God. I don't know if that quite hits home yet. You have to respond to God's activity in your life. You have to return. You can't be passive in in God's work in your your own life. You have to accept it intentionally. You have to willingly and knowingly receive it. You have to respond to God in what he calls faith. And step out and make mistakes and repent of those mistakes and continue to confess that you're not getting it all right and continue to come back to him and receive his forgiveness and his grace all over again every day. As, as often as he gives you a day to get up and breathe and to continue on, then you continue to trust him and actively walk your faith out. And the questions that you have and the concerns that you're dealing with, you continue to bring those to the Lord. You continue to let his word inform you of what his will is and what he thinks of those things. Amen? It's, a, it's not just God's activity in your life. It's, it's your response to that activity, which is also active. Faith is active. And what happens when it becomes activated in this reciprocal relationship is that you have a life that you can actually um, find purpose in. It means something. And God's using it to make a difference, not only to you, but to others. Amen? And Father, we thank you. God, we give you praise and glory and honor that you are so willing uh, to do in our lives, what we couldn't have ever accomplished, Lord. We could not be faithful enough. We couldn't have uh, done uh, enough works. We couldn't have paid enough money. Uh, Lord, we thank you that your word tells us it is by grace, through faith, that we're saved. And Lord, as we uh, begin to come to the moment of 
um, celebrating the Lord's table, the Lord's supper. Uh, God, we pray that we would begin to check our hearts. Are we in faith? Whatever doubts we may have, Lord, we, we want to admit them right now that there are things that confuse us, concern us, Lord. We, we understand all those things that um, there are issues that we struggle with, temptations we're dealing with, but do we trust you? Will we depend on you? Will we believe what you've said? Lord, I pray that uh, today and every day, Lord, that we would, that uh, we would be ready at any moment to lay our life down and know that we will step into eternity with confidence. We thank you that we can do that, God, that that is possible for each and every person. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. I uh, asked Seth to come and um, share with us our time of communion, so he's going to lead us through communion. Go ahead and uh, grab your cups if you need to and uh, hold them in your hand. The Bible tells us that we, before we partake, we're to search our hearts. Make sure that we come to this table of communion with the Lord ready. So take a moment, uh, hold it in your hand, know what you're about to partake of. As Steve plays, we just bow our heads and have a moment here. family as we come to this intimate moment that we call communion to fellowship with the Lord. I'm reminded of the covenant of a wedding and at that point where they actually the couple feeds each other cake it was tradition that they would say to one another as you take this into your being you're taking me into your entire being. This is what traditionally was supposed to be spoken of as you fed each other. And as we come to this covenant meal, I pray that would be your prayer. That as we take this, Jesus, these elements into our being, that we would take Christ into every part of us. Let's pray that as we begin. Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you for your covenant with us sinners. So, Lord, we come to this most intimate point where we sinners get to commune with the Holy God. And, Lord, it is because of Jesus, his body that was a perfect sacrifice. 
and the body and the skin was broken open so that the blood would be shed for us. And so, Lord, as we partake of this bread and this juice, help us to remember that great gift, our Lord, our Savior, our God, given for us that we could even talk to you, that we could even be in your presence right now. So we ask, Lord, that as we partake of these elements, we want it to be a symbol of taking you into our entire life and let it flow out of us, your spirit living in us, your people flowing out. And so, Lord, we pray that you purge us Wash us, cleanse us, help us to reflect Jesus in all we do. We love you, in Jesus' name. Matthew 26, 26 says, Now as they were eating, Jesus took the bread, he blessed it, and he broke it, and he gave it to his disciples, and he said, Take and eat, let's partake. And on the same night, Jesus, he took the cup. And when he had given thanks, he gave it to them and sang, saying, Drink of it, all of you, for this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. This is our atonement. Let's partake. Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you for the salvation that is from your hand, that is Jesus Christ. We're not saved, as you tell us, by gold or silver or works or deeds. We are completely saved by the blood of Jesus Christ. We worship you for that wonderful gift you've given to men, your beautiful love. Jesus on a cross dying for us that we may commune with you. We love you, Father. We thank you for your mercy. We thank you for your grace. And may we all worship in spirit and truth. In Jesus' name, amen.